0: Welcome in to the Locked on Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. He's Alex Wolf. And as promised, we are back with more in depth coverage of free agency. This time, Alex, with a very special guest. It's Jackson Frank, who writes for a number of places, including Dime and Basketball News. What are we going to get into with him?
1: Uh, we're going to talk about the Knicks' free agency. What else, right? We're going to talk first about Nerland's Noel. That contract, you know, we discuss whether we think it was an overpay. Uh, I, I sort of bemoan the center market in general every year and how it seems like the market, quote unquote, gets set every single year, only for these guys to end up having to get traded later on with picks attached to them. Uh, we talk about the Fournier signing, how much he adds to the Knicks, if he adds enough wrinkles uh, to their offense to help, you know, elevate them to another level. Talk about the Derrick Rose deal, if that's maybe an overpay, given his advanced age and everything, but also whether, you know, if they're using early bird rights to sign him and can still keep some space open to sign someone else, if it makes it a little more palatable, and uh, just in general, kind of talk about the Knicks strategy during this early stages of the free agency process, then end just a little bit with some draft talk, because Jackson's a big draft guy as well, so get some of his takes on the Knicks draft and how they handled that as well, so... All coming up next on this episode of Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: And I think we see Willis coming out.
1: There he comes right now. The
2: Without a five. going for the win. Yes. Puffs left.
1: Now fires a three. And he's good. And he's
0: You are locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am your host, Gavin Shull, a play-by-play broadcaster once again, and I'm joined, as always, by Alex Wolf, the editor-in-chief of the greatest Knicks website out there, the Strickland and we have, and this is this is a rare occurrence. I feel like we, we bring a lot of people back. We have a first-time guest today, and it's a great one, Jackson Frank. He covers the NBA at more places than you can count on one hand, including Dime, Basketball News, Liberty Ballers for Spotify, Green Room, The Analyst, and Blue Wire Pods. Jackson, really appreciate you joining us Um It's sort of a, it's, it's, it's a weird state for, uh, for Nick's fandom collectively, at least, at least relative to how I individually feel, because I'm, I, a state of mourning would certainly be strong, but I, I wasn't thrilled with yesterday. I think Alex, if, if I could speak for you, you're you're a little bit more optimistic on what went down, and then I feel like people in general are are maybe not ecstatic about what went down yesterday, but like pretty accepting, kind of like, all right, we're just we're just sort of staying the course. But I, I don't know. I, I, I thought yesterday for the Knicks maybe had some some darker. Long-term implications and and maybe just maybe put them on, on kind of a treadmill of, of mediocrity for the next couple of seasons. But Jackson, we'll will we'll start big picture. What what were sort of your overall thoughts on the Knicks moves yesterday?
2: Yeah, my my biggest takeaway after everything kind of settled and they you know they'd resigned Burks, Nerlens, and Derrick Rose, and then added is that I think they're putting a lot of Faith, I think, is the best way to put it. In internal growth, from guys like RJ Barrett getting Mitchell Robinson back, uh, Emmanuel Quickie taking another step forward as a ball handler, Um, maybe Obi Top and continues to you know Toppin struggled to start the year, but he was much better toward the end of the season. Had some nice flash in the playoffs. Um, So I think they're putting a lot of faith in those guys, kind of helping the Knicks take that next step. Because I I think they lock they lock so they brought back everyone they brought back or signed is like a useful good player. But it to collectively it helps create a very flawed roster. I think is the way I look at it. Like it's a good team. Like I think the Knicks should be in contention for you know a playoff spot again next season. Obviously the Heat are better. Um, maybe the Celtics are more healthy. So I'm not gonna say they're gonna be in contention for a four seat again. But I, I think they'll be in that position to you know be a, be a playoff at least a playoff contender. Um, but that's my biggest thing is I think it just puts them. It's a flawed roster and it puts a lot of pressure or I think faith is the best way. I don't want to say pressure. Uh, faith in, the, in those young guys to take set forwards, and, and to their credit, RJ Barrett got a lot better in year two. Um, you know, Mano quickly had a really nice year one, adding some you know interior scoring. I think would be really useful for him. We'll see what happens in summer league. Um, so that's kind of my general takeaway. There is you know it's it's a lot to put on the young guys, and maybe they're up for it. But um, I think you I worry about kind of the the big path toward another leap forward as a team collectively. Maybe it happens. I they were better than people expected last year, so I don't want to rule anything out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So obviously, the big the big move was Fournier, which we'll get to in a minute. And there's also, depending on you know the final details that come out surrounding the Derrick Rose contract, the Knicks may surprise people and have another uh, eight or so million dollars to spend uh, if they used his early bird rights to sign him, or if they intend to use his early bird rights to sign him. So that there may this may not even be a finished product just yet. Uh, But the the big one, I think that. Drew the most, uh, either like uh, the most polarizing reaction, I should say, I think, out of all the signings that they made was Nerlands Noel. So I think maybe that's the place to start. because uh, it was also, I believe, the first move that was announced as well. They announced the Nerlands Noel signing and, and Burks were, it was almost at the exact same time. But, um, they, they bring back Nerlands Noel, it's a three year, $32 million contract. And I mean, so, it, my initial thought was, why did they pay him so much money? Then I, you know, I'm looking at some of the deals that were handed out yesterday, and like Daniel Tice gets nine million annually on his deal. Rashawn Holmes gets 13.75 million annually on his deal. Now, I would argue, I would much rather have Rashawn Holmes than Nerlens Noel on their respective contracts, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Jared Allen gets 20 million annually from Cleveland. Um, even Zach Collins gets like seven and a third million on his contract, and he's really done pretty much nothing at this point in his career. You know, you could argue it was the market rate to pay Noel what he got. I think my counter argument for this, and and I'll throw this to you, this is kind of more just a general question about centers in general, but I think that every single year we go through this, I feel like every single year we hit free agency, centers get overpaid, you know, last year it was like Detroit handing out some contracts like that this year they had to get off of and uh, New Orleans handing Steven Adams that contract that then this year they're immediately trying to get off of and have to pay to get off of because nobody wants to pay centers big bucks. And yet every single year the same thing happens where there's like a relatively thin market for good centers and teams overpay for them. And then it, it seems like within a year they're regretting the decision already And trying to offload them for, you know, at at the cost of a couple second round picks or even, God forbid, a first round pick or something. And so, I don't know. I I think that's why I'm, I'm kind of really down on the Noel deal. And I would have really preferred that if the Knicks wanted to sign another center, that they would have just waited on Noel and either, A, waited to see if his price went down, you know, make him set a market for himself, or B, just kind of done what they did last year and wait for the dust to settle and just kind of find someone whose replacement level maybe doesn't give you quite as much as Noel does, but that you don't have to pay nearly as much for. I mean, do you think think that I'm off base with that assessment of like center values in the NBA? Like that it seems like every year the center market comes out, they all get paid tons of money, and then by the next year, half of them are getting picks attached to them to move them to some other team because the team that pays the centers always regrets paying them. All right, we're gonna take our first break. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There's really something for everyone. There's, I mean, 10 different flavors that you can go for, and all of them are delicious. There's coconut. Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Mint Brownie, Double Chocolate, Salted Caramel, Strawberry, Orange, Cookies and Cream, and German Chocolate. And you guys already know what my favorites are. I love Coconut and I love Cookies and Cream. Coconut reminds me so much of like a Mounds bar where it's just that, that lovely coconut flavor with the chocolate over top. Super simple, super tasty. And Cookies and Cream, you know, it tastes exactly like what it says, like an Oreo cookie or Cookies and Cream ice cream. You know, whatever, it, you really wouldn't believe that it is a, a, a protein bar and not purely a candy bar because it tastes just like one. But as it turns out, it's not loaded with sugar and fat and all kinds of stuff that you don't want. Nope, built bars have 17 to 18 grams of protein in them and only range from 130 to 180 calories, four to five grams of sugar, and four to five grams of net carbs. So you're not getting a ton of fillers. And crap that you don't need in your body after your workout, you're just getting that pure protein you need and, you know, having it in a really, really tasty candy bar like package. And don't just take my word for it. Bilt Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team who are currently competing right now. So, you know, the highest athletes in the world are using Bilt Bars to replenish themselves after their workouts. Maybe you should, too. If you decide to go to built.com and use promo code locked15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code Locked15 for 15% off at built.com. You no,
2: know, I think the way I looked at the Neuralance deals, it was like it was awesome for him, a guy who was, you know it was never like out of the league, but you know, was I think he took a couple of minimum contracts and whatnot. Um, but I mean the expectation should be that Mr. Robinson's the starter next year when he I mean, assuming everything is I don't know where he's back out. I- where he's at, kind of with his recovery from injury and all that, but um, he like he took a huge step forward last year in a lot of ways, um, and I, and he's you know, he's young, and I think the expectation should be he starts again. It just felt like a lot of money for a a good, albeit flawed, backup center. Like I mean, you look at the I mean, things will change, but last year uh, about ten point seven million would have made him you know the hundred twentieth highest paid player, and that's a start. That's a starting caliber guy. Like if you I mean, roughly that's kind of the expectation. You know, one hundred fifty guys start. Um, and so I just I just don't like I just wonder like would they be better off signing a guy to the minimum to play, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night, um, you know, because I think the, the the idea should be that you know Mitch Robinson continues to improve his positioning, his defensive discipline was much better in terms of fouling last year. Like you shouldn't have to like split. He's not going to play twenty minutes, right? You should expect that Mitch Robinson, assuming health, can play that thirty minutes or so, thirty two minutes. Um, and so I just I just felt like a lot of money for a guy who in his ideal role is going to be a if the, I guess, in an ideal team context for the Knicks is not going to be, you know, a guy who's playing more than 15 to 18 minutes a night most of the time. So uh, that's that's kind of how I view it. And it was like, yeah, awesome, like awesome for New Orleans, but I just don't know if that was the best allocation of money for the Knicks, especially three years. Like I said, like it just feels like, it felt like they brought back good players, but you brought back the same players who helped create a very flawed roster that were part of the reason the Knicks, you know, were a four seed, but then really struggled to you know, building momentum in the playoffs and lost 4-1 to a good Hawks. Team. Of course, you know, Courtney of the Hawks clearly seemed to be better than a five seed last year, but uh, I just, it just kind of was a, that, that signing felt very kind of emblematic, not emblematic, but like it felt like a, one of the leading kind of themes of this, of that is bringing back a guy who was good, but helped contribute to a flawed roster. And I just don't know if it was worthwhile given maybe some of the other ways they could have gone and lean more into some offensively inclined players.
0: Yeah, I think I, I have two main thoughts on it. One, I, I said this yesterday, but I just, at, off the top of my head, I can't think of another team in the league that would have given him this deal, which is generally a bad sign. And two, this was something we didn't even mention on the podcast last night, but then I, I talked to John Schmelke, um later on on the bank shop pod, everyone go check that out. Um, and he noted that, isn't this, is this a, a doom signal for for Obi Toppin I mean it, it seems like the Knicks are are dead set on not playing him at the five which is something we knew from last season but we thought going forward given that he really exceeded everyone's expectations defensively showed real flashes of of rim protection granted not not at the five spot it was more so in help side situations or, or occasionally one-on-one with a smaller player Um, But that being said, it it seemed like a fascinating avenue for him going forward, especially with the way the league is trending, where you you will see lineups like the Clippers put out in the playoffs where where their nominal center is Marcus Morris. And this this move, it feels like, at least financially, locks the Knicks into the idea that they should be playing a traditional center for 48 minutes every game. And during the regular season, to, to Tibbs' credit, I mean, that worked spectacularly. And then come playoff time, and, and you can you can put in a couple qualifiers here. Obviously, Mitchell Robinson was out, and obviously, Nerlens Noel wasn't a hundred percent healthy. But it, it just offensively, it seemed like a disaster having a, a non-shooting, non-skilled five man out there because Atlanta could just consistently shade Clint Capella towards Julius Randle, and Nerlens couldn't really do much about it. And and obviously, Mitch is is in the same mold. But it's a little bit different because of all the flexibility he gives you defensively. And he's just such an overwhelming presence around the rim. Again, a guy who's literally a year removed from the greatest field goal percentage season in league history. You can't really do that with him. And and I don't know. I just think, I mean, Jackson, you, you made this point, but I think it would have served the Knicks well to have a little bit of stylistic diversity in their backup five, especially given that you, you, you just drafted Jericho Sims, who probably to be clear, probably won't play as a rookie. I mean, guys who are the 58th pick really translate to the NBA in any meaningful way, but has a chance to, down the road, at least replicate some of what New Orleans does. And if it was a one-year contract, I wouldn't have minded it at all. I guess there's still a small chance. The last two years are not guaranteed. I haven't Maybe I missed it, Alex, but I haven't seen a definitive report on that one way or the other. But it just it it, it feels like a lack of imagination. And to me, I feel like it's a microcosm of this whole free agency cycle for the Knicks, in that it feels very Tom Thibodeau driven, and even though he obviously he nominally doesn't have the same coach GM title that he had in Minnesota, it feels like he he just had heavy heavy influence here. We even I even saw a report that I mean he was the guy who like called Evan Fournier to like talk to him about the deal, which I, I maybe is, is a normal thing that the coach is on that call, but it just it, it felt a little bit weird, and it felt like the Knicks were catering to his whims in the sense that he he never wants to take a step back, he he never wants to regress. Even if it's to the benefit of of the long term growth of the franchise, and, and this free agency, it, it feels like a, a coach operating as a GM saying, um, "I want the players that fit my system the best," instead of "I want the best possible players and then to build a system around them." I know that that's more of a a, a big picture view on it, Jackson. But what what do you kind of think of all that?
2: Yeah, I, I think the point the, the main point there about you know the stylist diversity, um, ob- like obviously Nerlens, I think. Is someone who is a little more theoretical offensively, just because of how much he struggles to corral passes um, a lot. I mean, he's a defense-first guy. Uh, of course, he's a good. I mean, he's a good defensive player. I Had a heck of a defensive year last year with the Knicks. Um, but one of like, I mean, uh, and then you also you bring in Jericho Sims, Obi Toppin, and say, like, "Oh, can pace the floor," unlike Mitrovic and, and Nerlens, but um, still a guy that you also want to get some downhill reps, a lot of threat. Um, and so, yeah, I just I just worry about that one, like a guy that. You know, like I wonder, like which Kelly a guy they maybe should have been calling. I know he got three years, thirty-seven, um, but you, I, but he probably the Pistons probably have to give a bigger deal if you can't offer immediate winning. Um, like I think he's a guy that would would perfect as a backup five, off, you know, offer a space, a floor space, or a guy who can some dribble handoffs, um, just a little different look. One of the benefits of skilled bigs, you know, like or I should say skilled bigs who have some ball skills and perimeter skills, is it can kind of make things a little easier for your guards and. Or your ball handlers, and the Knicks need that. And so, obviously, I never, I don't know, like maybe they did call Kelly Linick, and he didn't, he didn't want to take three years, thirty or whatever. He wanted to get the extra money. Um, but that's a guy that I would have been interested in. I just, I just worry that like they're all they're leaning to all these guys. And as you mentioned, the guy they took what eighth or ninth overall last year, um, like doesn't really have a path to like his best position. Probably like I mean, he he can play some four, but the movement skills are still pretty tough defensively. Even if I thought he got better as the year went on overall as a player. So I just I just don't like the direction of that. I think it just places so much impetus on a lot of f- flawed perimeter creators without any sort of release valve on in the interior. Um, beyond Julius Randle, obviously, Julius Randle's a big man um, who, who can do a lot with the ball in his hands and is the main guy there. Um, but you saw kind of the limitations of Julius Randle you know, with the level of creation burden he had last year in the playoffs. Um, that's, that's somewhat about Randle's limitations, more about like but it's but like not even him. It's just like it's really hard to be a bona fide number one guy in the playoffs. Um it's not really an indictment on a guy if he can't reach that. It's only a select few number who can. So I just I just worry that they're in a very similar place to last year and I just don't I don't like having two guys who are primarily lob threads who can't space the floor. You don't really feel comfortable with running dribble handoffs or facilitating any sort of actions from the elbow. And I mean those guys are harder to get but I think the Knicks were in a place financially to probably get at least one of them and give a look to one of them and I didn't really do that
0: all right guys let's take that second break with jackson and tell you about another one of our favorite sponsors this episode is brought to you by rock auto with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions? Is there Odyssey, an LX, or an EX? I, I really have no clue. And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to Rock Auto at home and in your pocket so you can do it yourself and save time and money while doing so. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, heck, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpets. You can go explore their easy-to-use website today to find solutions to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com.
1: So I want to pivot. Um, I was thinking about going to Rose next, but you know what? That's... I don't want to start off like negative, negative (laughs) as far as the contract. So let's go to Fournier because I'm actually. So this was the one aspect where I was I was pretty bullish yesterday. I was (laughs) before they announced the Fournier signing because it was heavily rumored that you know that he was going to come to the Knicks. So I was kind of just sitting there like twiddling my thumbs, waiting for the news to drop. And when they came out first with the Nerlens and uh, Burks news, I was like, oh my god, is the is the Fournier deal falling through? Like that's going to be really disappointing because if they don't come away with Fournier, then you know, and they're essentially just running it back with the same team, then that's that's not going to be great. Um, then they finally get Fournier, and you know, they uh, basically it's like Reggie Bullock goes to the Mavs now. Uh, Fournier is coming to the Knicks, so it's it's almost like Fournier slotting right into that position that Bullock had previously filled. Now, obviously, the defense is going to take a hit with, you know, Fournier out there instead of Bullock. But I am really, really excited for the amount of offensive wrinkles that Fournier can potentially add to this team. Uh, Bullock was, I mean, he did great in his role that the Knicks asked him to play last year. But he is, like, through and through just a spot-up shooter. I mean, he cannot put the ball on the floor. That was, you want to talk about things that were exposed in the playoffs. You know, I've already noted this like a thousand times, but the the Hawks were able to essentially strand their, their worst defender on Reggie Bullock and not get burned for it because like Reggie just literally could not dribble even around Trey young, who's arguably one of the worst defenders in the NBA. Um, you know, c- he can't put it on the floor to do anything with that. If, you had Evan Fournier on the team for that same series, and they were trying to put Trey Young on Evan Fournier. You're definitely not going to get that same result. Uh, he he's great with the ball in his hands. He can create his own offense. He can shoot the three extremely well off the dribble and in catch and shoot situations. So he's versatile in that respect. He can get to the rim. He could shoot in the mid range. I mean, he really can do a little bit of everything on the offensive end. Probably, I mean. I would say probably one of the most underrated offensive players in the NBA over the last number of years. Like I think that he has a really interesting bag, you know, he's not the he's not the fastest or the, you know, the most jaw-dropping athlete or anything and he's not the absolute best scorer out there, but he's like an extremely talented three-level scorer uh in my opinion. So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on him, you know, if we're talking about the Knicks not really adding any new wrinkles with the Noel thing, which I totally agree with. And, you know, I, I do still think that if they're going to be giving him significant minutes, which the the price tag suggests they are, that they're going to be in trouble with the fact that he still can't catch the ball on offense. Um, that's, that's definitely an issue and makes it sort of a four on five situation in many cases. But I think the Fournier signing is going to give them a lot more options uh, out of that two guard spot and not allow their two guard to be schemed out of games, essentially. Um, and if you could potentially trot out a lineup of, you know, hopefully Mitch is still presumed to be the starter here. But let's say that you can have a, you know, closing lineup of, say, Rose, Fournier, R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and Mitchell Robinson, who who is a credible lob threat and who has hands. You know, I think that, they would be in a really different situation in say a series against the Hawks, you know, again, where essentially in that series, Bullock and Noel were able to be more or less played off the floor, or at least if not played off the floor, at least, you know, rendered completely useless on offense, more or less. Um, so what do you think that Fournier adds to, the, to them in that two guard spot? And do you think like, even despite the fact that they treaded water with their other three signings, do you think that Fournier adds enough to this team that maybe gives them a little bit of upside going into next year.
2: He's got some versatility to him. He can play off the ball. He can play on the ball to an extent. Um, obviously a very good shooter. Um, had a very nice year last year, um, even with, you know, dealing with COVID and having having a bit of a, a rough spell at times, the Celtics. Um, but I, I just, and so I, I think he helps. Like, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't want to be too negative about it. Um, and I, th- I think just as you mentioned, the upgrade from Bullock to Fournier is a big deal um, because as you mentioned, you know, Bullock can shoot off movement a little bit, is mainly a spot-up guy, but really don't want to put the ball on the deck, uh, and, that, and that's an issue. Um, Fournier, yeah, you can run some side pick and rolls. You, you can run some dribble handoffs. He's good at running off screens and making things happen, um, which is all useful. Like those, those are all really useful things. I'm very curious to kind of see um, what sort of two-man game you can form with with, Reg, with uh, Julius Randle, um, what sort of things you can get in, in kind of that involve R.J. Barrett or Mitchell Robinson in the starting lineup there. I think there's some useful stuff. Um just having another handler who can like actually sh- you know shoot off the dribble, I think, is useful. Um the amount of pressure they're putting on Derek Rose and Emmanuel Quickly last year was a ton for those guys. A responsibility, I guess, is the best way to frame it. Um but I but I still at its core I worry a little bit. Like Fournier is not a guy who's consistently going to turn the corner and get right on his defender and get two feet in the paint, and I think that was the biggest thing the Knicks needed. Um now that player is hard to get, someone who can create advantages and you know, capitalize on them for himself or as a playmaker, like that's a really hard guy to get. Um, And so, uh, but I like, I just don't know if Fournier gives, like, I just don't know if he gives them that, 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 that that, what's the phrase I'm trying to say? Uh, Like that high end juice. juice. Yeah. 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 I mean, very, very technical term here. Um, (laughs) But yeah. So like, I think he helps. Absolutely. I just don't know if he, if he bridges the gap for the Knicks being, you know, uh, like a, can they, like, does it make, does it make them more competitive in a first-round series? Absolutely, I think. Does it get them, like, actually, like, into the, into a space where I think they'll really rival maybe the top two or three seeds or actually win a series? I'm a more skeptical of that. Now, that's, that's a lot to ask in one, in one offseason. It's not Fournier's fault, but it speaks more to the idea that, like, these four signings, I just feel like, you know, like, and, and one of you said that, like, the treadmill mediocre. I don't, like, I think, I get what you're saying. You're not necessarily using that as like a pejorative as much, but like, I just worry that like this doesn't move the needle as much. Whereas if maybe it was Fournier paired with Olinick and maybe a, another, like someone else, you know, I think Burke's coming back. I got the Rose stuff, but like, but he struggled so much as a defender at the point of attack. Now asking him to guard Trang is a big ask, but, and maybe Fournier maybe reduces how much they have to play Rose and quickly take a step forward. But it just, I just don't know if it gets them to where they want to go. And there's, I mean, and there's value in, you know, being a team that makes the playoffs, of course. But after you've done it once, I just like, that doesn't mean it doesn't matter if you do it again. But like, I just, just don't know if this gets them where they need to go. And that's why, like, I, I wonder, like, was was there any mutual interest between them and Spencer Dinwiddie? Because he's, he's a guy that I think the reporter is going to go for about 360 or 366. Um, I think Jake Fisher's been on top of that over a pleatry report. Um, that's a guy that I think made a lot more sense. But again, I always struggle with some of this free agency stuff because I just don't know, like at the end of the day, it comes down to what a player wants to do. And if anybody didn't want to go to the Knicks, then I, it, I can't really criticize them for that. Right. But um, that's a guy that I would have liked them to be linked toward to a little stronger than just like, he'll have some suitors, but never really felt like it picked up Stephen to, to that, to their credit or their defense. I mean, didn't really pick up any steam beyond like didn't we just to go to the wizards. So kind of a long winded ramble. I hope it's coherent for both you and the listeners, but that's, kind of where I things. Fournier will help but I just don't know if it it helps enough largely in conjunction with the other moves they made and that's not really Fournier's fault
0: yeah it, it just I, I'm with you Jackson it felt like a half measure I think I, I said it yesterday I have a little bit of optimism on Fournier just because the degree of di- I feel like people underestimate the degree of difficulty of what he had to do in Orlando where he really was the the chief perimeter threat there and I mean you look at their point guard play over the last five or six years it rivals the Knicks for for the worst at that spot in the NBA and, and I mean I, I know a lot of people cited that he had just awful numbers in playoff series but we, we kind of noted it yesterday like if you're going to be at the top of the scouting report for teams like Milwaukee and Toronto I mean of course Evan, it's, it's Evan Fournier is, is, is underqualified for that role and he's, he's going to have his issues so on the Knicks I, I think we could see a guy who is an elite elite shooter um, shot 46% from three in his time on the Celtics. And I, I don't know, that gives me, gives me a little bit of hope that there's there's a better version of him to be unlocked on the Knicks. Um, it kind of somewhat analogous to what we saw from Bogdan Bogdanovich on the Hawks last year. The issues are, as you noted, uh, Bogdanovich, better overall player, I, I think, because of his passing ability. Uh, two, the Knicks do not have a Trey Young for him to play off of. Um, and uh, and yeah, and and to your point, the point guard spot was their opportunity to really upgrade that. I think it was the focus of all Knicks fans going to the offseason, what we're gonna do. We had dreams of Chris Paul, we had dreams of Kyle Lowry, and we ended up running it back with Derek Rose, who got a three-year, uh, either forty-two, uh, what is it, point two, point three dollar contract with his early bird rights, or maybe incredibly stupidly, a, a three-year forty-three million dollar contract. Hopefully that is not the case. Um but I'm curious for your thoughts on that re-signing. I wasn't particularly optimistic about it. And, and again, no one can really discount what Rose did last year for the Knicks. He, he was incredible over the final 30 games. He was, he was masterful against the Hawks. I, I couldn't say enough about his heart and, and just the, the ridiculousness of his shot making. I mean, it wasn't just that he turned into far and away the best three-point shooting version of himself. He shot, I I feel like his true shooting on floaters was was somewhere around 150% last year. I know that's not possible, but it just, it seemed like every single one of them would go in and a lot of them would be like around the free throw line with a guy on his hip. It, It was just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. And yet I can't help but feel that this contract is almost like, yeah, last year you gave us $14 million worth of value. So here's a $14 million a year contract and not projecting going forward that one, he's 32 years old. I think there's, there's a pretty decent chance what we saw from him last year will be the best basketball that he's played for the rest of his career, not only because he's on the older end of things, but because that's the best basketball he's played pretty much since he was a 21-year-old MVP, maybe with the exception of a couple of stretches. Here or there, and, and to your point, Dinwiddie was, was the guy I was I was dying for the Knicks to go get. And again, who knows if there's mutual interest there. Uh, another guy, I honestly, this, this sounds kind of crazy, just because it, it doesn't seem like he, he's considered to be worth this much money. I would have preferred if they gave Reggie Jackson the same contract after what he did on the Clippers. And, and granted, we, we've seen guys in contract years have out outlandish performances and then not be able to replicate it. Reggie Jackson, a guy. A year ago, no one really wanted across the NBA like the the Pistons could barely give him away. But he he was I've cited the stat a number of times, the, the single best isolation scorer in basketball. I, I think that was that was for the playoffs and that was for the regular season. it's It's even crazier. And, and granted that was and an, a different infrastructure than he would have found himself in on the Knicks, but I, I think he would have given them that juice that you're talking about. And Rose obviously still has a bit of that. He doesn't really get to the free throw line. But he, he was he was such a big boost to both Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin. Playing with those backup units next year, I just think it, it's it's a little bit it's a little bit concerning that the Knicks are projecting that he can provide that same juice for three years going forward. But what were your thoughts on that move? Do you think it, it's sort of a, a pacifier for for Tom Thibodeau, or or given how great he was for the Knicks last year, which is definitively their second best player um, post trade? I or at least I w- I would argue that. Um, that maybe maybe this deal wasn't unreasonable.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, for me, the way I try to kind of look at some of these things is I go and look at, you know, um, you know kind of where, where that would slot him in, at, you know, salary-wise, you know, like, because I, I never, never want to frame things as like a guy got overpaid. I always, because, I mean, they, they, they deserve to make all the money they, they, want, they want and, and earn. But, and so the way I try to phrase it is like, can he approximate the value of guys making similar money? And he, the right now, fourteen point three would have him as the eighty seventh highest paid player, which again makes him just below an average starter. And I feel very pessimistic about Derrick Rose's chances of approximating the the starting uh, starting value player. Um, you know, I, and I think the point about you know maybe last year them, them paying for what he offered last year um, that makes sense when a guy is twenty five to twenty eight, right in their prime. When a guy is thirty two and has an extensive history of injuries, um, I know Derrick Rose has been more healthy as of last few years, but um, still a guy that I worry a little bit about, and as good as he was offensively, like he yes he was very good for in some of those games against the Hawks. Again, the defense was a really rough spot, and I, so I worry that the, the Knicks by giving him that contract are going to rely on him significantly again offensively in conjunction with the other moves, and that will make the defense very tough, or it'll put a lot of onus on De- Emmanuel quickly to take a leap. And, and he, I mean, he again he was a very nice rookie, and he's he's not like an oh, he's not like a twenty four year old rookie, twenty five year old rookie, so you can project pretty significant developer over the next few years. But to me, I just, I just am pretty pessimistic about him approximating the value of other guys at similar price points. Uh, And I think the Knicks are putting him in a spot where they're going to rely on him again, a ton offensively. And that makes it tough given his point of attack and screen navigation struggles defensively, or it'll put a lot of onus on quickly to take a step, which again, he could, but I just don't love the process there. Um, Partly because of the age, as you mentioned, partly because of the defensive struggles, um, and so I'm just not overly infatuated that move. Um, even if I, I understand why they brought him back, understand what he brings, but I think in a playoff setting, it, it can be really tough because of the defensive limitations.
1: Yeah. I I'm with you there too. I'm not in love with, with the contract that they gave to Rose. Um, as far as the health concerns too, I mean, I'd kind of talk myself into, Oh yeah, things have gotten a little better lately, but all it takes is one look at his basketball reference page. You realize, like, no, I mean, the best he has done in an 82 game season is 66 games since his injury history with the Bulls. And he has done many seasons way worse than that. Um, you know, and even last year, he played in 50 games out of a possible 72. Uh, granted, he played uh, by and large the majority of those games with the Knicks, um, you know, that that he was traded for to to play for them though. He, he did have uh, his absence with the, the Knicks as well, which was COVID related. So, I mean, again, it's, you know, how do we score those in terms of injury history and stuff? It's like Fournier kind of dealt with the same thing last year. And I, I literally said yesterday, like, I'm not holding that against him because it's COVID and it's different. Um, so, I mean, it, it, maybe Rose would have played higher than a, a 66 game pace last year. He certainly seems to have the whole conditioning thing down and and how to preserve his knees and his health down at this point. He plays much less vertical at this point um, while still kind of having some of that burner speed that he's always had uh, just kind of on tap, ready to go at any given time. So it's, it's interesting, but I do totally agree that I think, I think the contract is definitely a bit much given his production. Um, I, I guess the the other side to that, if you want to play devil's advocate, is you could say what player in the league, you know, had as much of an impact on his team and their performance, you know, just strictly in the wins and loss column and the, you know, and how much better they were when he was on the floor. Granted, you're comparing to Alfred Payton, who probably, I, I mean, I don't know, I think won't be an NBA player next year but I said that last year too, and then the Knicks re-signed him. So maybe someone will sign him again, but I mean, Alfred Payton is not good. So the the bar is pretty low for, you know, making the team better when you're on the floor versus Alfred Payton. But he did, I mean, he made the Knicks a way, way better team from the second that he got there and their performance to end the season, you know, showed that. So you could argue maybe outside of like Chris Paul, uh, you know, new additions to their team last year, uh, it, He was he had to be up there as far as guys that provide the greatest impact to their team. So maybe they're paying him in part for that. But I have the same reservations about whether he can keep that same half-season performance in a contract year, feeling reinvigorated, going to a new team under his old coach, blah, 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 like all these other factors in play. I don't know if he's going to be able to reproduce that for three years into his 30s on this new contract. And, And that's the biggest thing with it. I will say, though, so there's there's one thing that has come out over the last 24 hours that um, uh, maybe changes the the, uh, I guess, analytical calculus on this a little bit and changes the calculus of the next cap sheet, uh, which is that it's it's coming out now. People were were doing the math and they said, all right, so the the deal was was reported as three years, forty three million dollars. And if that is the deal. Then uh, it, it would have come in very slightly more than what he could have gotten paid um, using his early bird rights that the Knicks held. If the deal is literally like, I think it's like eight hundred thousand dollars less in in total value. If it's like forty two point two million or something like that, and like let's just say Woj just saw that number and just rounded up to forty three, uh, then or whoever sent it to him you know to report rounded up to 43 whatever the case but if they sign him if or if they intend on signing him using early bird rights after they've used up all their cap space then they might actually open up another roughly eight million dollars of cap space that they might still use today or another day or you know in a trade or or something you know maybe they trade kevin knox bring a little extra salary back something like that i i don't know what they could potentially do but there might be more options there so I'm curious, Jackson, if like the the your judgment of the deal changes a little bit based off of that, like if this was basically I I mean, I don't know. I'm not I'm not one to say like, oh, you should just do a favor for a guy to the tune of three years, almost forty three million dollars just because he gave you a good half season and helped bring the team back to relevance and your coach loves him. But if they essentially just told Rose, hey we'll pay you whatever we can pay you with your early bird rights so that we can preserve some more cap space. Like, does that change your judgment of the deal a little bit, given that then they might still get one more shot at, I mean, we brought up a couple of names last night. I don't know if you have other guys, Like, uh, like, maybe they make a run at Malik Monk or something. And if they could get someone like that, that's younger with some more upside, maybe they make a run at like, Josh Hart or something like that and give the, give the Pelicans like a couple second round picks to not match the offer sheet kind of thing. Like, I don't know there's other options out there. Does that sort of change your view of the Rose deal at all? If, if they did go about it that way, or are you still just kind of like, yeah, but it's still an overpay? Yeah, I think,
2: I mean, I think obviously it depends on exactly what they do with that added flexibility. Right. So I, 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 that would make me a little less critical of it, not, not significantly. Um, but if it does open up a pathway to a little more money and in a way to acquire a guy of a little higher standing than, and they, and they capitalize on it, then, then yeah, I would be a little less, um, harsh on it. Um, but it, it's, I mean, yeah, it's one of those wait and see type things for me. Um, but tentatively, yeah, I think at least having that added, you know, that added optionality is, is a good thing. Um, but it's hard to, hard to read too much into it until I know how, how they utilize it. Um, but I think that is a worthwhile distinction uh, for sure. But uh, again, just, just tough to really know, you know, it's tough to grade an unknown. Right. So that's, that's how I stand on
0: it. All right. Jackson, I, I think the, the big picture idea for the Knicks going into this summer was to maintain flexibility for a star down the road, whether that's Damian Lillard at this deadline, maybe someone like Bradley Beal or, or Zach Levine next off season. And I, I'm just, I, I don't know if there's even a question within this, but I, I'm just curious what the implications of what the Knicks did were. Was it that they got intel that none of those guys ultimately wanted to end up in New York? Was it that they felt that they could just get off of these contracts? I, I guess what I'm getting at is, what what sort of your, and I know I know you've, you, you've touched on this in, in different answers, but... What, what's what's sort of the most optimistic version of, of, of what the Knicks did here? Because I, I know you mentioned that a lot of these contracts suggest that that they were betting on internal development. And I know you didn't mean that as, as necessarily as a defense of what the Knicks did, but obviously that internal development was a variable um, by and large, or, or maybe maybe I'm off on this, separate from what they did in free agency. And maybe the Knicks would argue like, no, we had to maintain the infrastructure from last year because that that's the best way that uh, Emmanuel quickly um, is going to be able to function with, with a lot of um, with 48 minutes of high-level rim protection behind him defensively and and someone like Evan Fournier to take a bit of pressure off of him offensively. It's it's where guys like Quentin Grimes can fit seamlessly into rotation. And again, like the best version of this, you can just look at the next starting lineup heading into next year and saying that's a fun, pretty complimentary group. Assuming it's Rose Fournier, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, but I'm left sort of thinking, like, I, I just if, – if the goal is championship contention, like it presumably is for every team in the NBA, what's the avenue for the Knicks to ascend to that that was, that was helped by what they did in free agency? And maybe the answer is just that it wasn't.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think truthfully the way – if you're trying to find a, a pathway through what they did yesterday and kind of the decisions they've made over the past X amount of months or year – uh, is that they uh, they retained good players or useful players that clearly helped their young guys last year, where there was RJ taking a huge step forward. And obviously, RJ deserves the most credit for his own leap. Um, but having good players who complement your young guys is a good way to accentuate development. Um, Mitchell Robinson was better last year. May mean, quickly had a really nice rookie year. So I guess I, I hate to like... I don't like treating players like this, but I think... And I I'll try to be very specific in my wording. Like, I think the idea would be that those guys... Allow for their young players to develop to a point where the next time a star asks out, and he's maybe says he wants the, he wants to go to the Knicks, they can move these young players to acquire that star. And Julius Randle continues with his All Star ascension, and you have like a very good core there. And maybe you hit on a draft pick late, uh, and so like if that feels a little implausible in terms of like championship aspirations, it's because it does. It is a very tough road to go from where they are now. To that next step, but that feels like the place that adding these or retaining these guys who are good and help you develop your young guys can get those young guys to a point where either they become a star or stars or they're good enough to really entice that next top 15, top 20, 25 player who asks out to, you know, for that team to, you know, engage with the Knicks in the the discussion. So uh, like I never wanted to view players like just a means to an end because they're humans, but that's kind of, that's the way I would view is that they get good enough to the point that they're, Become really nice cornerstones for a rebuild, or they become the stars themselves and help guide the next two to that next step.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm with that too. I you know I don't necessarily like to look at these guys as commodities because that feels very much like the. Uh, I, that was always the way that like Hinky and Maury would talk about guys like in Houston and Philly, respectively. Like everything was assets, and I was always like, yeah, these are dudes. Like these are actual people you're talking about. Like they're not like like poker chips <laughs> but you know you do have to in some ways look at look at guys in that respect you know just like like uh, how much value would Emmanuel quickly have in a trade for a star like two years from now or something like that and whatever um i i think that kind of brings me to also like as far as the deals that they just signed like do you think that do you think there's a single deal here that is untradeable like do you think that you know i i would probably surprisingly, even though I was more down on the Noel deal, I would probably lean more towards the Rose deal being a deal that if you tried to include that for salary matching purposes, say like next summer with two years left on the deal, I think there are some front offices around the league that would balk at that and say, no, I I don't want Derek Rose for 28 million for two more years. Like I that's not something that I'm comfortable doing because I don't know I don't know what more he has left to offer or he's like one bad step away from a knee injury that's gonna like literally end his career like I I don't think I feel comfortable with that like do you think out of any of these deals there are any that are untradeable like that and also I guess do you think that they're like (laughs) I guess I'm kind of just leading this into do you agree with me but like I basically think uh Rose is more or less not tradable uh Nerland's I guess you could talk some team into just taking as like the salary filler, but it might decrease the value of your package a little bit. Burks, I think, is a useful player that if you don't get that star trading team to agree to take on, you could at least reroute him somewhere else to get a draft pick to send to that team. So I think Burks will pretty much always be valuable on his contract in some way. And then Fournier, I think, you know, also kind of similar to Burks, you know, I think that Even if you can't talk the the team that you're getting the star from into taking Fournier, you could at least reroute him to some team with like expiring contracts and draft picks or something that's like a contender, and and definitely get something for him. But like, what do what do you think about just overall the value proposition going forward to the guys that they did sign?
2: Yeah, I think Rose is the only one that I'd be pretty hesitant about, Um, just because you know the reason you mentioned the age, the injury history, the fact that he is. Making about 14 million, um, which is a decent amount of money. You know, it would take up a lot of cap space. Um, Burks, I don't really worry about. I mean, yeah, he's 30, but he's a shot creator and, on a not exuberant contract. Like, that's always going to have some use to, to someone uh, for the most part. So, yeah, the Rose one's the only one I'd really be hesitant about. Nerlands would be second, I think, um, just because, I mean, you know, you still know. Um, Nerlands has been pretty good the last few years, but um, he has been kind of up and down at times in his career. Um, I'm sure some of that is tied to context. Context is obviously very important for players. So um, the Rose one is the only one I really would be worried about for basically all the reasons you laid out, um, just, you know, with the age and, and, and whatnot, and the defensive struggles and the fact that it is a decent amount of money for a guy who, um, he's another one who's been kind of inconsistent in his impact uh, at times. So uh, yeah, I generally agree with you on, on that assessment because yeah, that's that's the one argument in terms, and not the one. That's one of the reasons I think if uh, if you're not worried about, if you're not if you're not too like down on this off season, it's that they sign good players, largely to find deals. Um, the bigger issue as I've said is that it's collectively, it brings back a team that clearly had some pretty big, you know, warts, but, uh, individually, I think all these guys are on contracts, um, that a lot of teams wouldn't be hesitant to take on if maybe they're getting a, a, a second round pick or maybe a, a young guy who's struggled or flamed out in a certain spot. So, um, Yeah, I I tend to agree with you that Rose is the only one that I think would give me pretty significant hesitancy on, and I do think that one would actually be – could be fairly tough to – he is a guy who could be fairly tough to move on that deal um, if they they have to go that route.
0: All right, Jackson, we can wrap up on this. Um, I I wanted to do a deep dive on some of the draft guys with you because I I know you you do a lot of great – Draft coverage, I, I watched, I mean, the great uh, Let's Watch film you did with uh, our guy, P.D. Webb, who, who may be making an appearance on this podcast this week. I don't know. There are rumors. Um, but uh, we, we're almost out of time. So just very quickly, I, I guess the best way I can tie this into free agency is um, given the guys who the Knicks signed, um, what role do you see uh, Miles McBride, Quinton Grimes, and, and I guess Jericho Sims playing on the Knicks next year? And, and, and do you think they fit in w- w- with the guys that the Knicks added?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I get, I mean, I get, I get the pick. That was Quinn Graham shot very well from three, at least last year. In Houston, I, can't, or at, at Houston. I can't remember if he did in the previous year at Houston as well, but um, a good shooter for his size. And is a good, you know, good on-ball defender. Um, so I get that ethos, you know, more floor spacing deuce, you know, deuce McBride is kind of the same way there. Um, you know, very, like very, very good uh, on-ball defender, good off-ball defender, um, good shooter, like a very good shooting projection. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if I would, I would be surprised if both those guys crack the rotation, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of them cracked the rotation. Like I, I would probably bet on it. I, don't ask me which. I'm, I'm going to hedge by just saying one of them because um, that's the best way to do it. I'll sound will sound smart if one of them makes it. Um, there you go. But and I, but the Jericho Sims thing, yeah, it goes back to the fact they have three. I mean, they have three guys already who are centers. Uh, I know Toppin's more of four slash five, but um, three guys who can play the center. I, I would say. I mean, I don't feel great about Toppin at the five, but. Um, already ahead of him. So I, I feel like he'll, he'd probably spend a lot of time you know, playing with, with the Westchester Knicks. Uh, there, there's the G League team, right? Am I correct on that, Westchester? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, sometimes, and, and sometimes I actually I think there's a decent
1: things. chance he might end up on a two-way deal, too. Yeah,
2: and I, sometimes I always get those things wrong, so I wanted to make sure. Um, I'm all about getting things right today, apparently, on this on this podcast. <laughs> uh, we're trying to get things right. I get a lot of things wrong. So uh, anyhow, um, that, that's kind of how I view it. Um, but I would say, in general, I didn't love the Knicks draft, I thought they should have gone for maybe some more, some little higher swings. Um, I think if, because they probably came into that draft knowing what their, what their goal was in free agency, um, which is not to take many swings. And so I would have loved for them to be a little more, um, embracing of risks going for guys like Sharif Cooper or Jaden Springer, even BJ Boston. Um, you know, maybe staying put in taking a guy like Kai Jones at 19, um, maybe Keon Johnson at 21. I just didn't, I I got the idea, but it it just felt emblematic of what they're, corresponding free moves where we're to align with the kind of the identity in place um, bringing guys who could be who are decent bets to be contributors but not guys that could really be needle movers so um, that's how I feel about it um, but I think yeah I think like I like I like McBride there a lot I just didn't love some of the process there because um, I do think I think I think you know Deuce could be a guy who i um, so it's a pretty interesting pull-up flash. It isn't much of an you know, on-ball creator because of his passing limitations and burst limitations, but um, it was a pretty nice mid-range pull-up. So maybe there's some path to on-ball ability there if it really gets to a point, but I worry about the other things, not really warranting on-ball usage and kind of mitigating the value of the potential on-ball jumper or the pull-up jumper, excuse me. Um, so that, that's kind of how I feel about it. I got what they were doing, but it just, again, it felt very similar to the free agency moves that just didn't love it and felt kind of them locking themselves into a, kind of a certain spot. Uh, but but I, I got it, and I, li- I like I liked I liked taking Miles McBride as an early second-round pick, especially. I think he will be a useful player for the Knicks whenever he does crack the rotation.
1: All right. Well, Jackson, uh, I think that's pretty much everything we wanted to cover today. So uh, did you want to let everybody know where to find you online, where to find your work one more time, uh, maybe any, any pieces you have coming out or anything that, that you want to share? Uh, before we let you go, uh,
2: yeah, you can you can find me on Twitter at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Everywhere that I'm talking about or writing about the NBA is listed in my bio there. Uh, I just wrote, <laughs> I guess maybe not, eh. I, I, I did a big breakdown, spent spent what it may have been a little salt in the wounds for some Knicks fans who wanted him. Um, I will have a piece out about Jalen Suggs this week about kind of his optimal role in Orlando offensively. So excited for that. Other than that, I'll just keep kind of you know chugging along off-season content. I do host a Sixers pod over at Blue Wire and do some stuff with Spotify Greenroom about the Sixers. So um, if you want to hear about maybe uh, maybe another Atlantic team who's in a, in a tough spot, maybe kind of stuck in their ways uh, to to ease some of the the worries about the Knicks, um, you can listen to my podcast about the Sixers. That, that's kind of where we're at. But appreciate that you've having me on. I hope my ins- my insights were uh, were useful for everyone listening and for the two of you. But uh, yeah, I was always, always excited to talk about the Knicks, where I think you're. Gonna Pretty interesting and, and worthwhile uh, spot to discuss.
0: Jackson, I started reading the uh, Dinwiddie piece yesterday, and I, I honestly, I don't know if I have the stomach to finish it anymore, but <laughs> I, I think great signing for the Wizards, and, and really appreciate you coming on, and, and hopefully we can do it again during the season.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I look forward to seeing what the Knicks do next year. I really like the, the stride R.J. Barrett made, and I'm, I'm optimistic about Mitchell Robinson in year four, so uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, regardless, having Mitchell Robinson R.J. Barrett on your team and Julius Randle, uh, is there are far worse places to be, I think.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll take that right now. All right, that's Jackson <laughs> Frank. Really appreciate it. And this was Locked On Knicks. Tune in the rest of the week. We will have continued coverage of free agency and maybe circle back a little bit, talk about the draft. All that and more next time on Locked On Knicks.